This is Food Love, the space between terroir and the Tao of food. Today's guest is Chef Aaron Stark, and he is one of the treasures of Port Townsend. I was fortunate enough to meet him through my former work at the fort in town, uh, Fort Warden, and he was one of the principal masterminds behind how to recover and reclaim the kitchen at Fort Warden. And in town, he has been the executive chef over at the Jefferson Healthcare Hospital and has revolutionized how food can be nourishing and tasty in hospitals. I'm just so honored to be able to talk with Aaron today and to be in his greenhouse. If ever there was a person who understood the paradise that our locale is, it's Chef Aaron. And it's just wonderful to see him have a space to grow things and cultivate them and cook them at his leisure. So thanks for inviting me here to do the podcast. It's the first time I've been in such a fitting place for an interview <laughs> and outdoors. So thanks. Thanks again, Aaron. Sure um, thing. And let's, let's just start, you know, wherever you want to first tell us about like that moment you became a chef and walk us through your food philosophy. Cause I just think that the way you think about food could change the way that chefs everywhere sure. think about food. My father grew up in Bermuda, and a lot of my father's friends were chefs from all around the world that worked at these hotels, restaurants in Bermuda. And from a very young age, he, he expressed his desire at a young age, oh, I should have been a chef, I should have been a chef. And I remember him sharpening his knives He's a machinist by trade. And uh, he said, you should be a chef. And that kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I was 18 and graduating high school, he put it to me, what are you going to do? And it coincided with meeting a chef that uh, got me started with the American Culinary Federation ah. in Atlanta. And in the late 80s, early 90s, Atlanta was a growing city that all these great chefs from around the world were coming to Atlanta to kind of set up set up shop. Wow. So in a very short period of time, I got to work with some amazing chefs. And I didn't have to go travel. They came to me, more or less. That's outstanding. So. I did not know that about you, even though we've had a few conversations about food, because I spent some time in Atlanta. Yeah. And I, I met some really fantastic chefs, and a, a few of them are kind of principal people who are involved with the International Association of Culinary Professionals. So I know that the culture of food down there and the integrity of the different chefs with a, you know, standard of excellence, like you, you come from a good breeding ground <laughs> for food, yeah. which is great. So that's great. Yeah, that was, it was a, it was a fun growing up. I did a ACF apprenticeship. Okay. And that's American Culinary Federation for, for people listening. Yes. Did that, worked for worked for some great houses that got me going. And then I fell in love, more or less, and moved to Boston, mm. uh, where I pretty much had a job waiting for me at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, okay. where, where I hired on as the sous chef. It was my first real, you know, sous chef job. Okay. And so making some decent money in, in Boston mm-hmm. and the chef that I was working under, he, after a year, he moved on and they made me executive chef at 27 of the museum of fine arts in Boston. And what year was that? Because I was that in was, Boston. Yeah. That working was as an attorney at the time. 
trying but to frequenting think. the Museum of Fine Art. Yeah, that was like 1998. Okay, so yeah, all right. And so it was it it was you know I I lived and breathed kitchens, but um, you know when you think your your head's too high up in the in the strata, you're not ready for this. So uh, after a year, I went back to being a cook where I worked, I worked for Jody Adams at Rialto in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was my first real experience with organic vegetables and, Mm. and farm to table and rustic American cuisine. Wow. Um, That the terroir of that was, you know, New England. So the, the ocean and, and kind of on the same, you know, kind of on the same growing plane as the Pacific Northwest yeah. and the, the, the Northeast. So it experienced vegetables that I'd never really experienced. You know, growing up, it was a go check in the produce. Does mm-hmm. it look OK? Mm-hmm. And I think at Rialto was the first experience of no taste it. Make sure it tastes good. Uh-huh. You know, the tomato looks beautiful. Yeah. But what does the tomato taste like? Yeah. So did that with Jody and then. Then moved back south, following my heart still, and uh, I moved to Tallahassee, Florida, which is, I think, when I think back about it, probably the last place I really wanted to move. But I did it merely because I can get a job anywhere. Sure. And I was kind of trying to look for a job, and uh, it's the capital of the state of Florida, and there was a an executive chef. Uh, he was a certified master chef by the name of Jack Shoup that turned me on to this this French guy that was the manager of a country club across the border in in Thomasville, Georgia, which ironically is a is a Victorian town oh, in wow. South Georgia. So I'm just like when I came to <laughs> PT, I was like, well, this feels like home. Oh, yeah, um, it's great. So I hired on at Glen Arvin Country Club, which is the third oldest golf club in the nation as executive chef. Mm. And I had a ball. They told me I could do what I wanted to. And I did. Mm. And when you have that much freedom, you do express yourself. And so the whole idea of expressing yourself, it's your passion and it's your job. So of course you're going to work 70 hours a week at it. So I essentially did that. All work, not a whole lot of play, but had some amazing experiences. And the clientele at the country club, they were you know, in New York and in and Europe and flying their Lear jets back and, and coming to the country club on the weekend yeah. and, and really said, always giving me good re- reactions. So this is good meal, keep up the good work. So nice. that was, that was fun. And then I, you know, I was in Thomasville and I visited the Pacific Northwest. I visited Portland to a, a friend of mine was living in Portland and I was still working under the auspices of having a an apprenticeship certificate. Oh. And so there was always this desire to, to go get a culinary degree mm. just for, if nothing else, it's like, I someday when I retire, maybe I can teach. I'm um, surprised they didn't ask you to be faculty uh, instead of a student. So, <laughs> so Portland is, I you know, this is, 2003, Portland was just budding as a food town, mm. and they had the Le Cordon Bleu school there in Portland. And so I said, well, I'm going to do it. 
And so I went to a culinary school. But I can remember the president of the culinary school saying, why do you want to do this? And I remember thinking to myself, well, you can just sell me the piece of paper, you know, <laughs> but they, they did something fun. I was, I was more of like a student teacher mm. helping out the, the faculty that the, you know, the, the, the culinarians that were teaching. And what I found is that there was a lack of practical knowledge. Mm-hmm. So you can butcher a salmon and say, I know how to butcher a salmon. But you don't really know how to butcher a salmon unless you've done like a hundred of them. <laughs> yeah, you need so, volume. Quality. Yes. Yeah, and the speed, the pressure. You yeah. need the pressure too. The, pre- the sense of urgency. Yeah. So not you know soon after I I landed in Portland I I signed on as a, a sous chef at a Novo Peruvian restaurant in Portland, which is something that I was like, what's Novo Peruvian? And I stumbled across something that was really amazing. And that is Peruvian cuisine that is uh, a pure fusion. It oh. is, you know, in the, in the, in the 90s, culinarians, they, they, they really force fusion. You know, mm-hmm. let's mash these two cuisines together and see what we get. But when it comes to Peruvian cuisine, it's, it, it's, a, it's a natural occurrence. It happened just organically. You have all of these indigenous ingredients but all of these outside methods that were brought to those ingredients. So you have Italian, Japanese, Chinese, German uh, influences, and it all does something really amazing. Of course, you have the three regions, the mountains, the jungle, and the ocean of Peru. Mm. Uh, and it really got, got my juices flowing as far as like what you can really do with food mm-hmm. uh, and flavors. So that was a, an experience. The chef that I I, I worked under, uh, Emmanuel Piquerez, he left. He left at in the I think he left in two thousand and four, and they promoted me to executive chef at a Peruvian restaurant. And I don't even speak that that great of Spanish, <laughs> um, but we won restaurant of the year in Portland. Wow! And it really, uh, I mean, I've never worked so hard, but. <laughs> But ha- had the time in my life, I, you know, coming home from expediting, you know, a Saturday night at work and you're, you're, you can yeah. barely talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, towards the end there, it was it was like we were feeding a lot of people and getting all the recognition. But there is that burnout factor when you do something and it is your passion and it is your job. So you give it everything. And uh, m- my my girlfriend, now wife, uh, Michaela, invited me to this uh, beautiful seaside town, Port Townsend, uh, up on the Quimper Peninsula. We drove up and she was moving here for um, a job with Organic Seed Alliance. And she just put it to me, do you want to move here and have babies? And it was... <laughs> It was it was an instant yes because yeah. I you know it felt familiar because I'd lived in a Victorian mm-hmm. town always wanted to live by the ocean and I've definitely found my place uh-huh. and I'm never going to leave this place I, I know that for a fact yeah know? so tell me you know this is maybe a little bit of a digression I give it didn't give you a question about this in advance but it seems to me you might not have been able to find a more perfect match having mm-hmm. someone who is interested in seeds and and food in the way that Michaela is. Where and when did you meet her in uh-huh. all of this work that you did? I mean, it's just kind of a... 
So surprising thing. So uh, I'll, I'll go back to the story of when I was in Tallahassee and, and Chef Shoup told me about a French guy at a country club. Well, the French guy was uh, Stefan Ughetto, whose father ran a restaurant out of Thomasville called the Grand Old House. And he had it in his blood. He knew how to cook. He knew how to run front of the house. And together, we just did amazing things. Well, me moving to Portland, having to make a life change, uh, Michaela was best friends with, with Stefan's sister. Hi. And Stefan took uh, Michaela fishing, and she, she was taking a naturalist course, and they were harvesting you know, things on the, you know, mussels. And she was talking about eating mussels on the Oregon coast. And, and it hit Stefan. They're out on a boat. And uh, it hit Stefan and said, you need to meet Aaron. And at the time, Michaela was living in Roseburg, which is in Oregon. And I was living in Portland. And he said, like, you have to meet this girl. <laughs> and, you know, I called her and she said, yeah, I'll meet you. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to cancel. And I was like, well, that was done. I did that. Right. And then a couple of days later, she said, I'm coming back through town and I'll meet you in town. And we met in Pioneer Square, went to Higgins Restaurant and had a wonderful meal. And I, I was thinking in the back of my brain, like, you're an organic farmer slash seed scientist and I'm a chef. Well, someday, wouldn't it be crazy if we have a farm to table restaurant that would you could be the farmer and I could be the chef? <laughs> yes. And that was that was always something like, well, this is going to be cool. And, you know, now we have this little farm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's sort of like. And the kitchen's coming, right? And the kitchen may be coming. <laughs> we'll see about the kitchen. But I've always been this big fat dreamer. Mm. And I've always been one to spout off about my big fat dreams. Mm, And every once in a while, someone will latch onto one of my big fat dreams and and make it come to fruition. My my good friend, uh, Wes Cecil, says, you're the fire starter. You're not the fire keeper or the fire putter outer. (laughs) So uh, long the short of it, it was a fluke that I met my wife and fell instantly in love with her and it wasn't hard to follow her to Port Townsend. And I think she she looks, and I remember it was, uh, I think uh, we moved here in 2006 in the winter. And like the spring, summer rolled around and we're walking downtown. And she's like, all these people are saying hello to you. How do you know, how do you do that? And I'm just like, well, I met the whole town over the winter, you know, kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, you know, she said, uh, uh, I want people to know you as Michaela's husband not, 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 <laughs> I don't want to be known as Aaron's wife so mm. uh, but we have fun and we have two beautiful children and we're giving them this kind of a, a rural upbringing mm-hmm. uh, that's got all the bells and whistles so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty fun yeah it is it's such a great place uh, to experience with children so yeah. I think I think they're lucky mm-hmm. to have parents who, can kind of show them the full cycle of food from yeah. start to finish yeah. and, you know, kind of instill that deep appreciation for things. Sure. And I always, you know, my partner and I, we both, we both cook because we both worked in uh, kitchens and, and went to culinary school. That's where we met. But we always tell our son, you're, you're really not going to get to eat like this 
in most places when you get older <laughs> yeah. and, and don't expect this, yeah. you know, when you go to friends' houses necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But so your children are probably spoiled a little bit too. I would that. say, I would say, you know, in the beginning, when you have these brand new babies, you're like, oh, we're not going to do Doritos or Cheetos or nachos. Mm. And then over time, it just becomes this, you become a big fat pacifier. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Doritos will be okay. So I, I think they, they, they take advantage of it. But at the same time, this past week, uh, my daughter helped me do a 12 top four course uh, wow. for a dear friend. And I think she was sitting back looking at what I was doing within that sense of urgency uh-huh. and doing everything the way I do it. And oh, I think she wow. really attached to that and was like, wow, dad, that was awesome. That's amazing. Um, to, because when you when you watch somebody do, you know, cook a 12 person meal four yeah. course, 12, it's it's a pretty big, I mean, you know, you're all sweaty and, and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And when I had my little kitchen, I used to do 12 top uh, six course dinners. And people were just so attracted to this, this, I had this yearning to watch somebody actually manipulate mm-hmm. food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the same thing with a blacksmith right. or a, it's a glass blower. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's artistry. Yes, yes. Yeah. In fact, I would say that the art of cuisine is probably the truest form because mm-hmm. it evokes more senses mm-hmm. than just, you know, seeing something or mm-hmm. hearing something. Mm-hmm. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can see it. And, and you can hear it. And a chop, 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 yes. sizzle, sizzle. So yeah. And there's a rhythm. And there a pace. is. There and is. It, and when you're with a good team, yeah. it just flows. And when, that can be so nice. When you have that experience of working with a flawless team, mm. and I had that in, uh, during the 96 Olympics oh. at a restaurant called Tom Tama Bistro. Under, the chef was Ian Winslade, and the owner was uh, executive chef. He's a certified master chef, Thomas Catherall. And that was flawless every night wow and it was everybody knew their place and what they were doing and it was that idea of like i'm gonna prep the next person out so well Mm -hmm. that they're not gonna have a thing to worry about Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. that the the, you know this the the next shift did the same thing for Mm -hmm. you and it was just beautiful so that is that is i I always look to that you know yeah yeah well you know so one of the ways in which you and i have connected is partly through the first experience at Fort Warden, thinking about a culinary school for this area. Yeah. And then again, with the farmer's market, mm-hmm. um, in terms of promoting yeah. that good, nutritious food. Yeah. Um, and then we've talked about the sort of the need in this area with all these destination hotels and destination resort hotels sure. that we don't quite have the, the workforce that we need yeah. to actually be able to kind of produce Sure. Um, at the level that that we need, and there's a lot of struggle for employers. Yeah. And I I still have sharp recognition that your dream mm-hmm. about creating a teaching place mm-hmm. is is one that all of us should be subscribing to. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like I'm I'm part of your plan. You talk the vision, mm-hmm. and I want to help coalesce the energy sure. Sure. around it so that we can have it because the the area needs it. Well, first of all, I'd say where we live is the most perfect cornucopia of food that I've ever been a part of. Mm -hmm. And I come from the deep south, which is a barren land. Mm 
of that. Not until recently did, right. did you hear words organic or farm to table in the deep south. Right, right. A good friend of mine was, the, I think, the first president of Georgia Organics. Yeah. And I was part of that when I was there yeah. working with Whole Foods. Yeah. And it, it really kind of, it took hold much later than when you were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I think about like on the longitude type of thing, we're on the same longitude as, as France. So when we talk about cuisines that I, I definitely grew up learning cuisines into the French method. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you think about what we have here, we have everything from wines and ciders and beers, award-winning cheese, mm-hmm. uh, right around the corner, artisanal bakeries and organic farms. I mean, uh, it, it, probably 20 organic farms within a 30 mile radius of where we're sitting now, the, a local uh, beef supplier, the fisheries, the shellfish, mushrooms, the Olympic mountains produce so many mushrooms. And when you're in the coast and you find that first King Belief, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's no turning back. Yeah. You're just, you're just uh, with it. I need to go foraging with you sometime. I, I plan to sign up for some of the fall foraging yeah. um, field trips that I've seen. But I haven't done it yet. We, we took a whole hike uh, through the Olympic National Forest near where we were staying. And um, we knew that some of them were edible, but yeah. we didn't know enough not yeah. to hurt ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wh- where have you studied this? Um, so just, I, you know, just for from hanging out, you know, when I moved to town, mm-hmm. I had an instant connection to a all the farmers yeah. and all the producers. They mm-hmm. were all my my instant buds. Nice. You know, just, uh, so so they're learning things and they're handing it, they're 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 passing it over. But my friend Gabriel over in Scum that has Alderwood uh, Bistro, he's ah. had a farm to table restaurant now for boy, if I if I said 15 years, I would be close. Yeah. Um, but he took me at a friend, you know, that was with the tribes and took me out on that land and yes. and you know, you're going in this conifer forest and the dunes behind the beach uh-huh. and these mushrooms are, you know, uh, they're massive. Uh-huh. And we took them home and had duck egg omelets with, nice. with, uh. these, with these beautiful porcini mushrooms. Wow. And they're just amazing. Mm. But as far as like, so Port Townsend, if you think about what's the center of town is the local co-op. Mm-hmm. which is this amazing resource yes. for all these local foods. We have a vibrant farmer's market, mm-hmm. and we have a plethora of really talented chefs. We have a history of really talented chefs. Mm-hmm. James Beard used to come to the farmhouse restaurant over here off Cook Avenue really? and cook. And so when you think about things like that, it's like we have all these great, great, great culinarians in town, but you know, the truth of the matter, you're only as strong as your weakest link in a kitchen. And so just that skilled labor. Yeah. And we we all fall prey to kind of like the warm body syndrome of like, oh, I need to hire somebody, hire somebody. But have they got the skill? And the thing that I feel that the really, uh, we're a tourist town, whether we like it or not, Port Townsend, mm-hmm. Olympic Peninsula, it's a beautiful, but we kind of take it for granted. But for someone that's coming from, Ohio, they're just like, whoa, what is this? Did I just see an otter? Yeah. You know? So, but what I think about that is that we're a tourist town. It hit me that the same time that the kids are getting out for summer break is the same time that the, they double up the ferries and tourists start 
wanting something, a place to stay and something to do in Port Townsend. And so it kind of hit me with the kids in school. So, uh, you know, uh, Martina Haskins home ec class, when my daughter was a year old, I asked her, you know, we got together and she said, you should come teach. And I said, well, I am taking care of my daughter. That's a year old. And Martina was like, well, just bring her. Um, and I had my daughter in a backpack uh-huh. teaching, you know, high school sophomores and seniors how to, how to cook. That's awesome. This is how you make a bechamel sauce. Here mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. And for that, it really struck me as that if, if I could have my dream of a food hub kitchen that was a nonprofit food service kind of management thing mm-hmm. that we could teach kids and adults how to cook and build a volunteer force and grant fund it, then we could manipulate food uh, from the farms and from the food bank and actually feed people yeah. that are need. My, my big dream these days is a home health hospice, a nurses that go around giving health care to patients in their home. And nine times out of 10, they tell me there's no food in the house. Mm-hmm. So if we could build boxes of food to take mm-hmm. around, it's a, lofty idea it's not that lofty so this is interesting because we haven't talked in a while yeah and i um connected over the last year with the volunteer hospice of Gallum county nice and i understand um how their hospice it's a volunteer service yeah and i understand how they operate and there's there's so much love in it and and that this peninsula is ripe for Mm -hmm. this kind of work because the, the people who are providing this service, who are in the homes, are aware of yeah. these types of situations. And in some cases, I've, I've heard from other people who've said, you know, when, when people come in, the healthcare workers don't know what to do with the farm fresh vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a missing link mm-hmm. of, of learning how to prepare the food from the farm sure. where you can optimize your health, right? Yeah. To the, the ingredients and the minerals and the nutrients. Yeah. So I f- fully think that you're spot on to be thinking <laughs> about that. But at the same time, you use this same kitchen mm-hmm. to do a, you know, a four-week, six-week crash course mm-hmm. for kids and then start a local apprenticeship program where, you know, Cowdy at the Noodle House can have, a, have an apprentice for six weeks right. and then that apprentice moves on to Deb Taylor at mm-hmm. Finisterre and really learns how to cook through doing Mm -hmm. and then it's a life skill Mm -hmm. but you know if if you really need to it becomes this vocational way to make money sure um and i see it so many times that kids are going to school spending a bunch of money on college Mm -hmm. and coming back to work on a farm uh, with a big fat college degree right well because because the heart wants what it wants at the end of the day and I, I looked at this, the students I taught when I was in the Midwest as b- people who really had a hope to be able to express themselves as the artists they felt themselves to be, right? And some of them just needed the encouragement to kind of demonstrate, to yeah. practice, to, to, to continually repeat things to be able to express that. Yeah. And, and in this particular community with the Creative Arts District, uh, when the committee 
that was sort of steering the direction of it uh, came up with the five categories in which they would focus their attention and energy to support people. Culinary arts was one of the arts Mm -hmm. that they really spoke about heavily. And it's also the one area where I think not enough leaders in the community other than yourself really have a vision for what we're capable of that's um, relevant in terms of the time, in terms of what's happening in this pandemic with health. Um, and what what's meaningful to a community where I want everyone to be eating from sure. the farm, off the farm, because it's those farmers are such great people. Oh, <laughs> the sure. farmers market, you yeah. know, I yeah. I don't know all of them in the way that you've you've made friends with all of them, but but there's there's a lot of chi yeah. in the food. Oh yeah, and so it's the best to eat and um, the best to share, and I think uh, if if we had the right system of educating people around it it would become 10 times stronger than it already is. Well, there's a truth. There's something I do know about organic farmers is that this is, this is in, in complete contrast to the conventional farmer, I believe. Conventional farmer, it's bricks, which is sweetness and bulk. Mm-hmm. Think about fennel. Right. They want a sweet, big bulb of fennel. But to the organic farmer, they're actually going with varietals that they've tried in the past most of them are saving their own seed mm-hmm. uh, to varietal fennel that maybe isn't so big, but it tastes, has that anise flavor, not mm-hmm. so much the sweetness. Mm-hmm. And so organics, they're, they're conscious about the seed they're putting into the ground and what they're getting out of it. Yeah. And I know that earnestly, all the organic farmers that I know yeah. here and around. So, yeah, I'm, I remember I, I called um, Red Dog Farm at one point, just to thank them for the butternut squash mm-hmm. I had last summer because yeah. it was the best tasting. Yeah. It was so full of flavor yeah. and it was it was concentrated like yeah. in this powerful way that I just wanted everyone to have one, yeah. you know, because it was so good. Sure. Um, but the, I do think the care with which the community understands the importance of seeds. Mm-hmm. And I think primarily because Michaela, you know, her leadership in sure. that organization um, and her outreach to all the farmers, that, sure. that community is strong. It really is an alliance. And they know that that just what you put into the soil matters, how you care for the soil matters. Yeah. It, every single step of the process matters. Sure. And I'd say that ripple effect of understanding then, you know, how are the chefs using it? That's mm-hmm. that's where we could grow more. Sure. And um, and I, I feel like you're you're one of the, top leaders to to have that happen to become a tidal wave mm-hmm. so that we t- sort of take over the peninsula with this way of eating yeah, <laughs> right yeah, yeah i think it's coming it's definitely coming even squims farmers market there's a an alliance happening now uh between the port townsend and um Chimicum farmers markets with squim oh yeah so we'll, we're going to see more growth we're going to oh, see I more know those relationships yeah, yeah they're pretty strong just like mm-hmm. and these are all the young kids that started yeah. out working for folks like nash mm-hmm. and squim and and you know just the, just some of the old timers here you know abundant seed was here in town and then that was it used to be above aldridge's and it burned down and from the ashes of that came Organic Seed Alliance with Matthew oh, yeah. Dillon and Michaela. Oh, wow. And so there's been a strong history of seed here. Mm-hmm. And now, the, I mean, Organic Seed Alliance just got a huge grant. And they're actually uh, going to build a seed cleaning facility out at Finn River oh, Farm. Really? Okay. So that's the economic 
resource of farmer, local farmers being able to sell a seed crop, yeah. um, a clean mm-hmm. seed crop, mm-hmm. you know, really uh, is, is, a, is a cool thing. That yeah. is. And th- that could change the country. Yeah. Really. When you think about it, because yeah. when we want to have clean seeds everywhere, yeah. I mean, I, I used to be a biotech attorney and, you know, I, I, I didn't work for Monsanto, thankfully. Mm-hmm. I can at least say that I worked more with companies that were working on um, therapeutic drugs for cancer and things like that. But, but with, with companies like that, that create these, uh, you know, modified seeds we don't even really know what the implications mm. are for all of them. Sure. And the, you know, the seed knows how to grow. That's, yeah. you know, one of my favorite sayings from a, a friend of mine who is a farmer part of Georgia Organics. Yeah. And it, it is important that we begin to understand that innate knowledge again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah they, well, so talk to me more about how, how, how you think, a new home economics could happen because you were kind of teaching home economics to, to kids so they could get excited and engaged about food. Like in my, my hope for home economics is that we could engage children in cooking again sure. because it's, it's not being taught in the home yeah. necessarily. Absolutely. Um, I think it's part of equity, like yeah. that empowerment to feed yourself, to nourish yourself because it's the fuel that gives your body the the building blocks to make the muscles, to make the tissue, to, you know, to do everything, but we don't teach it that way. We're just like, feed me. So I have, you know, so I'm not going to pass out. Mm -hmm. That's a baseline. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, And what we need is for, for people, every single person to understand that they deserve better. Sure. And when they understand that they deserve better, then they'll know that the, the route, the pathway to that is the better seeds, the, you know, the better environment with the, the soil. Um, so talk to me about your, how, how could it work? So, you know, the thing that really gripped me in, as far as cooking, I never did well in school. That's just not the way I learned is, you know, I learned by doing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, just the mechanics of cooking was the main attraction. Mm-hmm. It had little, it, it had something to do with food because I love good food. But it was mainly on just the mechanics of being a chef, just chopping and stirring and, and all the tools you get to use. And that love affair of food slowly gained after that. And so the experience of if you take a small group of and really like fourth and fifth graders, mm-hmm. when they're still kind of shy and they're open to just anything. Uh, and not a, not all the back talk and not all the, you know, the teenage antics. But if you make something for a group of kids and let them eat it and they're not afraid to try it and they try it and then beg the question, where did it come from? And then take them out to a field and show them yes. what it is. Yes. Then they're getting that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And then you can show them how to do it and and you can talk about it. How would you do it differently? We've done this fun, this fun thing. I did it with um, Reed Albans in a Spanish class. We did all these different Spanish cuisine. And one of the things we did was you have the same elements. How would you plate it? Mm-hmm. And so that artistic expression, that visual, mm-hmm. that texture of plating something, mm-hmm. and which is something that I really, I mean, I used to sketch plates before I played them. Yeah. And it is really one of those, it's 
one of those things, do that first and then work your way backwards. Mm-hmm. Where most of, the, most of the, like, let's start in the field, pick some things and go in and cook it. Yes. And, and I think you really grip them if you can give that instant sensual gratification mm-hmm. in the beginning and then beg the question where it comes from. I love that. Um, I totally so love that. I, I definitely have my, you know, my dream is to be like the, the Patch Adams, Willy Wonka of the <laughs> kitchen with kids. Sure. Uh, because I think, yeah, we, we don't cook for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, fast food came along. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I, I always think about like the Swanson's TV dinner. Oh, right. That was, I, I think I read where it was an accent because they had all these turkeys in a freezer. And uh, I think, I honestly think the Swanson company was like, we're going to give mom a night off. Right, right. And then, and then mom was like, well, I can, I can do this every night and go get a job kind <laughs> right. of thing. And so this whole idea of, of this processed food comes mm-hmm. along where if we just stop, get together with our kids and cook together and eat together, I mean, that's what we're all kind of working towards because mm-hmm. it's that beautiful feeling of like, you get to spend time with your family, you can talk whatever you want to talk mm-hmm. about. But it's all around food. It's all around the hearth. Yes. And some of the best moments I've had, you know, just with friends has been either open campfire cooking around mm. on the beach or, or cooking in the kitchen uh, here at the house where everybody's just having a good listen to records and drinking wine. And mm. it's, all, it's all that uh, community having a good time. And I really think it's kind of a waste to cook for just four people. <laughs> it's kind of a way, you know. So yeah, for you uh, must yeah. feel that way. And it's just a like lot. let's cook for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the big dream about you know having a big kitchen has a myriad of different programs happening. One of those programs would be a parent and a child doing a cooking class, mm-hmm. and it goes for a while. And you manipulate food and you send home with food to put in their freezer. Mm-hmm. Then there's other elements to that of manipulating just take food bank food and make a bunch of soups yeah and then give it back to the food bank right our food bank is pretty phenomenal we have an amazing yeah. food bank and really there are do. gleaners it's yes. really unlike anything i've ever seen it, part of it is as a result of environment too because sure. you know around the neighborhoods there mm-hmm. are fig trees that are just producing and yeah. and plum trees and yesterday a friend from um, my son's school said, come over, stop by, let's visit a little and, yeah. and pick some peaches. Yeah. And I thought she's the only person I know in town with a peach tree. Yeah. Um, but there's that level of bounty. And, and yeah, right now sure. we're, um, we're living close to the Dungeness River. And, it, you know, we just went and picked the green plums and yeah. they're ripe and, and the pears are starting to ripen. Nice. And it's just, it's this amazing bounty right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you talk about you know, the food bank, it's not your ordinary food bank no, because, right. because I have been involved with the work of other food banks in Georgia. Actually, sure. I, I worked with um, an organization at the time that was called Georgia Avenue Community Ministries, which has a new name now, but they, they were getting food bank food and bringing it into the inner city. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they could select from the inventory of things that they could get from the food bank, they were not opting for some of the healthier, like, you know, items like quinoa or kamut mm-hmm. or anything like that because people didn't know how to cook them. People don't know how to cook yeah. them. And, and I, I'm sorry to say, most food bank recipients don't have pots and pans and stoves. Right. We take it for granted that people mm-hmm. have a place to cook. Right. And not everybody does. So that whole idea of taking that 
you know, dried beans and making them into beans that people can just up and eat. Right. Uh, and, and while at the same time showing someone how to cook beans. Right. We've done a lot of, you know, when I first got to the hospital, I was in the basement, found a gurney mm. and said, can I have this? And they were like, what do you want a gurney for? And I was like, I'm going to turn into a mobile cooking station because it's a table on wheels that you lock and it's there. Mm -hmm. So I have a gurney that's a a cooking station. I take it to the farmer's market and people are just like, what is that a gurney? I was like, (laughs) you know, you know, if you, and so, so one of the doctors actually said, it's like, we can learn what he's doing with that gurney or can end up on that gurney. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It's pretty fun. Oh, wow. So. I feel like there's so much more we could talk about and we need more time, but I think I'll just invite you back to another interview. That sounds good, yeah. Um, but I do want to say, so if you were to contribute in a recipe of some kind mm-hmm. to a new curriculum, yeah. and so let's say this curriculum for new home economics would have children go out to the farm to eat the precious yeah. Yeah. fruit or vegetable yeah. and then come back in, learn to make a dish with it, plate it up, get the yeah. artistry and that feeling of creation. Yeah. Um, what dish do you think would work best for them to have that experience in so, an easy way? Yeah. So I, when it comes to kids, I think about, I, I tend to go in and teach, you know, things like hummus and salsas, mm-hmm. just that instant gratification in yeah. a snack and you can make it really nice. But then, then there's the idea of every kid needs that first date sentinel dish. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. Oh, I can make a mean Putinesca. Here, right, let's do it. Right, right. So, <laughs> Good um, idea. And so that's meaningful to a teenager too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think if they if they if they if you teach them how to do one dish mm-hmm. and they replicate it with you and they take it home and what if they had all the ingredients so they can take and replicate it for their mm-hmm. parents? Mm-hmm. Now they've made it a couple of times. Then they brand it as their own. Right. This is my recipe. Yeah. I know how to do this. So. You know, as they enter into their late teens and early 20s, mm-hmm. you know, first date, hey, come up for dinner. I'm going to make that chicken food and right, for you right. because it's my sentinel dish. Yeah. And it's just, you know, that's how people grow that repertoire. But mm-hmm. it's amazing. Methods of cooking are very similar. Mm-hmm. You're making a sauce, making a soup. Mm-hmm. The methods are there. Okay. It's just learning those methods and feeling comfortable in those methods. Right, right. And then I think also having the support of someone like you who really cares not only about the what of what you're making and the where it came from, but also the community that you create in doing it together. It's just really, anytime I've been around you around food, it's, it's always just a happier time. And you know, just uh, that time we were doing those cooking demos for the farmer's market out at Pin River. That was just loads of fun. And I just (laughs) we just need to do that again. We just need to do that like every month. Yeah, for sure. So for me, the biggest missing link from my time here has been just a big, beautiful kitchen. And and it's like, how do I get to a big, beautiful kitchen? Yeah. And that we can do all these things. And so again, it's just like finding the partnerships and Mm -hmm. I always imagine the marquee has all the different names of the big players right. on it and they help support it. Right. And um, that can happen. I think you're right. I think it can happen. So we have more to do. Gotcha. Anyway, I'm so glad we got a chance to connect <laughs> again. This has been Food Love, the space between terroir and the Tao of food with Chef Aaron Stark, who's just a fabulous Port Townsend treasure. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for 